welcome to In the Reading Corner, where today I'm really pleased to be talking to Rihanna Pratchett and Gabrielle Kent about Tiffany A. King's Guide to Being a Witch. I can't believe that it's a 20th anniversary since Tiffany first came into our book pages with the We Free Men. And it's a story arc that I've certainly grown up with as a parent because my son was a very keen reader uh, of the Discworld series. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be welcoming both Rihanna and Gabrielle. You're joining me from different parts of the world today. Rihanna, you're in Prague. Yeah, I'm in Prague. I've just done GDS, which is a game conference over here, and it's my first visit. So I've been exploring the city a little bit as well. It's, it's a pretty magical city it has to be oh, said. yeah and it's full of stories as well it's a, it's a great place for a writer to go have you been to the puppet theater if not i highly recommend oh, it no i haven't been that sounds intriguing and mildly terrifying and also if you get the opportunity to go to the chapel of bones which is just outside prague oh, okay. it's a chapel made from human bones basically well we're off to the we're off to the castle tonight something to do with is the the prague castle on alchemy tour Gabrielle, you're joining me from an equally magical place, which is the northeast of England. I hate saying that because I don't want lots of people to go because part of its magic is that it doesn't get the flocks of tourists of a Devon or a Cornwall. Absolutely. It's great. You've got space to breathe. I always feel like when I go to any of the cities, it feels quite claustrophobic. And then when I come back to the northeast, it's space, fewer people, (laughs) magical stories. A different kind of magic in this very, it has to be said, extremely handsomely produced celebration of Tiffany Aching, which comes in a lovely hard slip. Uh, So it's a real uh, delight to hold in your hands. Rihanna, it's obvious where your connection comes from. Tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with Terry, the writer, and, and whether you were an avid reader of his books as a child or whether you came to them later. Actually, all of my life, I grew up with Terry the father (laughs) rather than Terry the writer. And certainly as a kid, I didn't really think about what he did that much because you don't really pay that much attention to what your parents do as a kid because it's just what your parents do. And maybe, you know, you're a bit grumpy about it because it takes them away and you don't get to play with them as much. And, And it was only when I heard that Equal Rights was going to be on Women's Hour on Radio 4 that I suddenly thought, my mother listens to Women's Hour. It was sacred in our household. And I thought he must be doing something something really cool to be on Women's Hour. And so I hadn't listened to Colour of Magic when it was on, but I decided to record Equal Rights. And I got my little tape player out and I recorded it off the radio. And I think I'd heard him say that he'd based Escarina Smith, the young female protagonist in Equal Rights on me. And I think I was quite intrigued about that as well. Um, And yeah, so I recorded it and I listened to it over and over again. And I think that's what got me into them. I haven't read all of them. I think Gabby, she's read more of my dad's books than I have. But then he's never played any of my games. I think that's fair. So I have a, a, a few small gaps that I'm going back and, and filling in. But The Witches was where I started. And I think it was my real kind of first love for them. So I read most of them, but he was very prolific. There's a lot to read. I've gone back and forth through them as well. And I have my favourites. So, yeah, there were times when I was an avid reader and times when life got in the way. And especially when he fell ill, it was much more about 
daughterly duties. Mm. Uh, can I just ask before we do move on and bring Gabrielle into the conversation, in those later years when he was writing, were you supporting his writing as well as supporting him as part of your family? No, I mean, I was supporting him as a daughter does to a father. I think there's always been speculation. Was I involved in the writing of the book? <laughs> no, absolutely not at all. Only in terms of he would pick up on things I did and said, particularly as a child, and they would become little jokes or phrases and things in the books. The little girl with gloves on a string in Hogfather that says gloves comes from me having my gloves on a string and like silly things like there's a tune that people in the round tops hum to themselves when they're trying to boil an egg <laughs> called where has all the custard gone and that's something I used to say to cats that used to be fat and had lost weight and had a, a, a hanging undercarriage I used to poke it and go where's all the custard gone and yeah that became a joke so there's a few little things like that and I think there's a lot of me in his younger female characters too including Tiffany oh yeah definitely Tiffany I grew up a lot in Wiltshire because my grandmother lived in Wiltshire and my grandmother was a shepherd so I spent a lot of my time in Somerset it was a very rural existence so my parents had a small holding they had goats in the front garden. They had chickens and ducks in the back. They grew vegetables in a medieval graveyard. They had bees. I learned how to spin wool and look after bees and milk goats. And I lived in a, a valley. And so there's a lot of climbing trees and falling out of them and running around after goats and that kind of pastoral existence. My grandmother was in Wiltshire and then we moved around about when I was 16 to be nearer her. But I spent a long time down there with her and the sheep and seeing that the sheep being sheared because she mostly kept Jacob's sheep for wool and she would spin the wool and make me all those itchy kind of woolen jumpers that stand up by themselves and they have barnyard animals and all. So yeah, I spent a long time in short country until we actually moved there. Gabrielle, so Rihanna's already said that she thinks that you knew the books better than she did. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about Tiffany's arc then, because it spans several books. It starts with The We Free Men. I was a huge fan of the books, so I read them as they came out. I was a big fan of The Witches, so it was wonderful to discover this little series within itself as he started to write the Tiffany Aiken books. You, you follow Tiffany growing up, I believe. She's nine years old when the book start and she's in her late teens by the time of Shepherd's Crown which is the final book so we grow up with Tiffany as she discovers her call to witchcraft ends up training with some of the greatest witches in the discs so or some of the witches that we've met in earlier books such as the wonderful Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax become mentors to her from her first adventure when she was nine years old and has to go on a mission into fairyland to rescue her little brother to following her training and the encounters she has with the magical entities right up to yeah, Shepherd's Crown, where she's a fully-fledged witch and ends up again defending her land and stepping into some very big shoes. It's a series I definitely recommend just seeing Tiffany grow into witchcraft and really accepting the hard aspects of it as well as the magic itself it is wonderful. And there's a new witch we're introduced to as well, who is, it doesn't never actually features in the books because she's passed away before the very first book. But Granny Aching, Tiffany's granny, who she realises was something of a witch herself, is such a big present throughout the books without actually being there. And I think uh, both Rihanna and I see shades of our shepherdess grandmothers in Granny Aching. 
You've both got shepherdess grandmothers. I don't think we'd fully realised it until we wrote no. the book. I should, I should point out, I have read all the Tiffany books. I have read all the witches books. It was just some of the early ones that, that I haven't read. I, I'm very well versed on the witches, and I'd actually worked on adapting We Free Men a, a couple of times in the past, so I was very familiar with it. I think we, we knew we had rural upbringings, but not that we both had Shepherdess Grammar. I think it was because of my upbringing, it was the summer holidays I would spend in Galway on my granny's farm, whereas I was living on quite an estate in England that was a little bit rough when I was really quite young. So it was wonderful escaping into that magical, magical environment with her on my granny's farm. There's so many things that I want to pick up. And the first one you've touched on, Terry's fans will know these books inside out. So how much was needing to go back, making sure that everything was consistent? And how much space did you give yourselves for some originality? Well, there was a lot of research. There was a lot of back back and forth. And we'd occasionally go down rabbit holes where we were trying to find, okay, so what was the roof of Nanny Og's cottage made of? Because there are books that say it was thatch and there are books that say it was shingle. We're like, is there any point where her roof is being done? (laughs) Has someone changed a roof? Have we missed her, one of her sons or multiple daughter-in-laws sorting out her roof? Paul has drawn her cottage with thatch, so let's just go with that. So we would occasionally get lost in the weeds and we did find a few things that we needed to make a a decision on, particularly uh, Nightshade, the Queen of the Elves, that appears in Lords and Ladies, which is Dad's adult witch series. And there's also the elf queen that uh, Tiffany meets in We Three Men and again in Shepherd's Crown. And they weren't at the time of writing Lords and Ladies and We Three Men, supposed to be the same queen we, we weren't even sure whether she was supposed to be the same queen in shepherd's crown obviously fairy queens last a long time so it's conceivably it would be the same queen but you do wonder whether if anyone had gone up against granny weatherwax and nanny og in laws and ladies why why they'd come back and have another go so i think we we ended up thinking that it was certainly the same nightshade She'd been riled up in Lords and Ladies and was just waiting for an opportunity. Mm. And so that meant that her as a character had actually crossed over, like Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og, from the adult witches books to to the junior books as well. I should just say to everybody that's listening, in case I haven't made it clear, that this is actually a guidebook. And so it's written from Tiffany's point of view, but with some very amusing annotations from Granny Og and Esmeralda uh, Weatherwax, which did tax my eyesight a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I really admired in, in Terry's writing was that although he undercut that kind of high fantasy, that he seemed to really be able to walk that line between a respect for it and also being able to poke fun at it at the same time. And I wondered whether that was something that you consciously tried to do in the tone that you adopted. We've really immersed ourselves in the Discworld books. I think we've really picked up on that. On Reestad's sort of style and way of doing things. I think also we don't like it when fantasy takes itself a bit too seriously. (laughs) We did find some of the natural little jabs coming quite naturally to us. There's a bit of a joke in there that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans might recognise that Reese Lidden, you did think your dad would have been very proud of that as well. He did like a good pun. I think as well, finding Tiffany's voice was one that came quite naturally. 
And I don't think Tiffany would stand for much airy-fairy nonsense as well. She's very down-to-earth with her third thoughts watching. And I imagine when your dad was writing, he probably had his second and third thoughts watching. And if he started to get a bit too high fantasy, pulling him back. Yeah, I, I think he, he always worked on what if high fantasy was happening to regular people or if they dealt with it in a regular person mm. way. And we were so so well immersed in the witches' books that we were, were able to capture the right tone. And I think what we did slightly differently for the guide is because a lot of the humour comes through the narrator voice of Dad's books and as well as Tiffany's. So we wanted to make sure that the humour of the narrator voice also came through in Tiffany's words as well and in the, the annotations from the other witches. So it was slightly different to Tiffany's voice in the books, I'd say, but only very slightly. But it's very much in the sort of general tone because we're trying to bring in a little bit of humour from the general notorial voice. Uh, but, yeah, you were also asking about bringing ourselves in, and I think it was it's basically all over the place. It's all very mixed in, and because of the rural upbringing I had, there's a lot of hatchet life tips, and particularly when it comes to the kind of animals and stuff. So I put in a tip that I learned from my parents about how to deal with bad-tempered goats when you're milking them. That isn't in the books, but I folded it into some advice that Miss Tick gives about how to deal with grumpy goats when you're milking them. That kind of leads me on to a point about common sense and the fact that while this is Tiffany's guide, it's also a guide for a modern young reader as well. You don't feel you're being lectured at, but there are so many words of wisdom. Being a witch is about facing your fears and understanding that even if something isn't your fault, it's your responsibility and immediately my mind goes off spiralling into the world that we live in today. And if only we thought like that, it doesn't have to be our fault for us to want to put it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and community and looking after people as well. And both Gab and I remember all grannies doing a version of going around the houses and checking on the old boys and girls in the neighbourhood that maybe were on their own and didn't have much family around and just needed a little bit of care and attention. As for school, it's not a place. It's all places. And just listening to you think, talking about your upbringing, we learn as much from our environment and the people that we meet. Was that true for you, Gabby? Absolutely. I learned so much. Particularly my grandmothers, actually. I think this is why I was so drawn to the witches' books. My grandmothers were such an influence on me and I learned just a great deal from them from my Irish grandmother respect for the the world around you and magic there was a real sense of magic from just the crazy stories she used to tell me <laughs> that's a whole podcast in itself the bizarreness um of that region of Ireland. But then my English grandmother, who did go around the houses, cared for, there was a lot of elderly people in the accommodation around where she lived that it was part of her job to go around and care for them, cut toenails, make them tea. You both work in an industry that is very collaborative. Things are authored collaboratively. Teamwork is really important. That's not often the case with writing a novel or writing a book. So how did it work between you? What roles did you take on? It was a surprisingly easy process. I've got eight books out and all of those were written, actually seven were written alone and I'm now writing a series with my husband but in a quite 
different way to the way that I work with Rihanna. You don't really have people to really bounce ideas off throughout the process. So it's a technology available now, myself and Rhi, it, it was wonderful. We'd put up Zoom so we could talk to each other. So we'd have days where we'd be on Zoom all day while we were working in live documents where we could see each other typing and creating jokes and editing each other's work. So we'd have them all in separate chapters. So yeah, one of us might be in one chapter, the other be in another. We could pop into each other's chapters to see how we were getting on and or just to spy on each other writing jokes or passively aggressively highlighting the number of ands. There's a third person who's not here with us today and that's Paul. So how did he fit into the mix? I think Paul had done a lot of wonderful work with the witches and so we already had some illustrations that he'd done and we put together a spreadsheet quite early on for each chapter that we were going to do and we, we had a sort of column with ideas for Paul of things we'd like to see illustrated, maybe ones that could be a full page illustration like the witch fair or ones that could be like a little piece of page architecture like you know the, the butterfly or, or the silver horse and then towards the end he started coming back with all the creatures he's always wanted to do and asking if we could actually write them into the book particularly the creatures of fairyland like the drones and the grim hounds and the biting fae were at the request of Paul because he really wanted to draw them. And it was so nice that we got to that stage where Paul was excited about it and had, had really had creatures that he wanted to draw as well. And so we supported each other. Everything is covered from magic to attire to familiars. As I look at you both and myself, I notice that by chance, we all seem to be wearing black today. <laughs> there are two rules, basically, the black colour or anything else. What would your witch attire be, Gabby? Oh, oh, that's a question, isn't it? A good pair of boots is probably your starting point, isn't it? Pockets are very important. I think more than colour or anything, I want something with a plenty of really deep pockets, not these silly for sure pockets. Pockets and boots, I think both Rhi and I are pretty much drawn to black. Well, we also have our eye signature colours as well. So- Yours would be a more mustard yellow. You wear that a lot and I never wear that, whereas I wear quite a lot of red. So they're colours that we tend to be drawn to as well as black. This is a weekday, so black is a weekday, but on evenings I do break out a bit of colour, so I wear greens and purples and reds. So we get a sense of your witch attire, and I wanted to ask you about your familiars as well. Dog, cat, goat, bird (laughs) or amphibian? We both got cats. I've got three cats and Gabrielle has one cat. I I do have a soft spot for goats. I I went up into the Cotswolds recently and they had goats there and that was nice. There's a special feeling of a goat head. Like it's very different from a sheep's head. It's quite knobbly and the fur is very coarse and they've got these wonderful big carpet-like ears. And I, I won't eat goat meat and I'm actually allergic to goat cheese now. So I do have a soft spot for goats, but they do take a lot of looking after and you can't really have them in London. Yeah, it's cats for me. Goats have eyes like no other animal. They're quite amazing, aren't they, when you really look into a goat's eyes. Do do their pupils go the same way as sheep? I I think it's similar. I haven't looked into a sheep's eyes for a while. (laughs) But it's also the feeling of the head is the ears. They're just like two small rugs that have been folded up. They're really thick. And sometimes they, they've got their toggles under the neck as well. But as my dad said, Pratchett's have cats like other people have bathrooms. You just have to have one in the house. 
Gabrielle, what about you? What's your familiar going to be? Please say amphibian. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish, but no, it's absolutely a, a cat. Um, we did have a Jack Russell growing up, Zeppelina von Wagtail, who was rather wonderful, but now it's definitely cats. She's not here at the moment. She's off out in the garden. She doesn't actually leave the garden. She's a house cat, but also a garden cat that doesn't travel beyond the garden. Writers need dogs, but they have cats. Writers yeah. can really do with dogs to get them out of the house. Were I back in London, I would usually have a cat either side of me. But I do fish as well. I'm starting up the fish tank again. But we never really covered fish as being a possible witch pet, but... We had newts in the pond when I was young. And of course, there's tortoises as well. You'd think there wouldn't be much to deal with tortoises. But yeah, there's quite a bit of drama with tortoises. Apart from Tiffany, another character is the landscape itself, the chalk, the land under the wave. You've hinted a little bit about that with your West Country upbringing, Rihanna. But can you tell us a little bit more about the chalk and why that is such a special place? It's a sort of my second home, really, because I go with there with my grandmother. And then it became the first home when we moved when I was 16. We'd often go walking around the chalk. Dad liked to walk a lot. That was his sort of main form of exercise. And he would go for long walks and he'd often want to talk about what he was working on. Or we'd be singing silly songs like Whose Pigs Are These, which is a song that you sing in the round, or something like Monty Python's Rhubarb Tart song. And I remember a Christmas where we walked from our house was to where my grandmother's house was, a couple of tiny sneezes of villages over, and it was about a mile and a half. And it had snowed. We decided to walk to my grandmother's house for Christmas dinner, and we were singing Monty Python's rhubarb tart song loudly and joyfully and probably slightly out of tune with the like the wildlife fleeing before us and it was delightful and and Christmassy and Pratchetty all at once. That ought to go in the dictionary, that word Pratchetty. Maybe it is in the dictionary. While we're talking about landscape, another quote uh, from the book about the earth, we fight for it to speak for that which has no voice, only memories. Again, it's so of now. I guess I just wanted to get that point across that this is very much a book of the here and now as, as much as it is about uh, Tiffany's world. Just a couple more questions. The book ha- is already published. What sort of response have you had from fans? It's been really wonderful. I was a bit nervous. So obviously, Rihanna was born into the disc world. And you know, I thought the fans wouldn't have no issue with uh, Rihanna taking this on. But I was quite nervous about how people would feel. Because obviously, Paul's worked on Discworld for years as well. And me coming in, I was a bit nervous that they wouldn't appreciate of my voice coming in. But it's just been wonderful. It's the few signings that we've done and events that we've done have just had huge numbers of fans and then huge queues for signings and they, everyone wants to talk about the influence Discworld had on them. You know, it really has actually changed people's lives hearing some of the stories from people coming to us and it's just it's really wonderful to hear that and to have the support of the fans for this book as well and they feel that we've done the Discworld and Terry some justice in in what we've written. Talking about that melting together of book and game. When my son was 10 years old, I spent many hours side by side with him at the computer playing the original Discworld game. Are there any plans in the future for Discworld gaming? 
Not at the moment. I mean, we really like to get the old games back out there because there are various places like GOG or Night Dive that will make older games sort of playable in new, on newer machines. But the trouble is we can't find out who owns the rights. We own the characters. We don't have the source code. We don't have the, the ultimate permission for it. Yeah, it's been a little bit difficult to find out because there's the studios were bought and sold over the years, so no one's quite sure where it is. We have so many irons in the fire and, th- and things to do really that the games have taken a bit of a back seat seems like the door is open on that one at least it's slightly ajar <laughs> i know that there'll be things that you won't be able to say but you said you've got lots of fingers in pies are you allowed to tell us about anything that you might be working together on in the future i mean together we've basically got another spreadsheet of ideas we've become very spreadsheety <laughs> And Gabrielle works with me to help me with alongside the writing I do as well, my own, and and generally helping me be a little bit more efficient and together with that. There's definitely things we'd like to work on together and we're always bouncing around ideas. But we've also got our own solo projects as well. The 18th of of this month in December, uh, I've got a little show out on BBC Radio 4 mythical creatures which is where i go around the, the uk talking to geomythologists storytellers folklorists cryptozoologists about mythical creatures of the british isles like selkies and kelpies and red cats and hobs and giants and mermaids and you can listen to it on your podcast on rss on on bbc sounds that's what i've been up to what are your solo projects gabrielle I was just seeing if I had a copy here. In fact, oh, look at this. Right beside the computer, Rani Reports is the new series that I've been working on with my husband. It's a British Mauritian girl who wants to be an investigative journalist. The adventure she gets up to with her grandma who's come over from Mauritius. So my, my husband's family are Mauritian. And so our daughter obviously has Mauritian heritage and South Asian children are so poorly represented in kids' books. The latest CLP Reflecting Realities report has shown that things aren't really changing for South Asian representation. Black representation is getting really good now. It's actually... Um, 6% representation in kids' books compared to 4% population. But South Asian children, something like 9.3% population, which is 1.9% representation in kids' books. So it's really important for us to get out a book with a South Asian protagonist that our daughter can recognise herself in. And we got one of the Times Children's Book of the Year awards. So you've got plenty to keep you busy. Thank you both so much for joining me in the reading corner today it's been a pleasure to meet with you oh thank you thank you